What's up, RTC? This is the Career Progressions Podcast, brought to you by RevealTalent.com. I'm your career advocate, Mark Allred. You know, building the career you want is no longer about climbing the ladder of success. Technology and the speed of information have made advancing in your career like climbing a rock wall. Our podcast focuses on the stories of career pros and experts who have climbed before you. What they share will help you find the climbing holds they use to get where they are today. Their stories will help you be proactive, be intentional, and keep moving forward. One of our most popular episodes was episode 18 when I had a conversation with John Velastalika. He's one of the giants in the world of corporate recruiting, and he joined us to allow us to pull back the curtain and see the world of recruiting through the eyes of someone who prepares recruiters in some of the biggest companies in the world. I'm fortunate today to have another giant in the world of corporate recruiting. Simon Mullins is the world's leading independent consultant on executive recruiting in organizations of all sizes. His reputation is practically synonymous with the topic of corporate executive recruiting. For over 30 years, from Europe to Asia to both coasts of the U.S., Simon has managed executive search from the outside and the inside. Simon now leads Essex, which is the Executive Search Information Exchange. It's the world's leading independent information source for companies, for corporate executives recruiting leaders. He's joining us today once again to pull back the curtain of recruiting and give us a glimpse of recruiting we normally don't get to see. Simon, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Well, Simon, Essex is a, it's a very unique organization that's uh, been a great resource for recruiters. Can you talk a bit about what you do and how it's helping companies improve their hiring processes? Yeah, it, it, thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's one of those organizations that's been around for 27 years, 26 years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's the longest running secret that no one's ever heard of, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but it is, it is very focused on corporate executive recruiting, exactly. A lot of folks think we're a recruiting company or a an executive search company, but we're not. We provide networking events, bench- benchmarking tools, training for the corporate HR function, in particular, the teams that run leadership or executive recruiting and that. So therefore our members are all corporations from Fortune 20 to up and coming unicorns, whatever it might be in between. Um, and basically we're, uh, we're here to help these large or medium or small organizations, as you say, to do their executive recruiting or leadership recruiting better. So our research tells us 40% of executive searches fail just because of poor management. So we help them, or at least we attempt to help them to manage it better. Well, I mean, that sounds like valuable work, particularly if 40%, that's a high number. I had not uh, heard anything like that. Right. And it's not the executives leaving, which is what people often think. It's not the executives leaving or the executives uh, doing bad jobs or whatever because they're poorly interviewed or poorly assessed. It's it's the searches themselves just don't go well because um, it is left to their own devices or whatever it might be. They're just not looking in the right places. I'm assuming they're not. Well, they're not managing it. Frankly, mm. it has to be managed by the organization. It can't be left to an external organization or party, third party, and it can't be run by uh, someone who doesn't really know what they're doing. It's it's um, 
you know, it's got to be run properly because these are critical roles, of course. Absolutely. I mean, talk about a game-changing role in an organization. Those would be the ones. So in 2020, I mean, you co-authored a book on leadership recruiting that um, offered strategies, tactics, tools for hiring those organizations. And you completed a new leadership recruiting book that offers consulting skills for recruiters. So those books are both focused on executive recruiting, but I know contain some important nuggets of wisdom for, I'm, I'm guessing, recruiting at any level. So knowing that our audience consists of you know, a lot of job seekers and career-minded individuals at all stages of their career, what are some of the pieces of advice that you offer to recruiters that you think people on the other side of the table might really be interested in hearing? Yeah, it's as you say, our first book was all about uh, running the internal recruiting or executive recruiting function. And quite honestly, it's, it, even though it's targeting the HR uh, function, I suppose, um, quite honestly, it's quite useful for anybody to understand how it works, what uh, the methodology is, why, in a, from a candidate's perspective, why sometimes these things can take so painfully long, especially yeah. at the executive level, and, and why it becomes very frustrating for some. Uh, so I, I think in many respects, it's helpful. Of course, I would say this, but it's helpful for anybody to read. It isn't targeted <laughs> towards the candidate, um, but it is helpful because both external and in internal recruiters are useful for them, uh, particularly external, because then they get to understand how the internal function works. But even candidates, as I say, to learn how they operate, why it takes so long, um, and then perhaps how to help the recruiter do a better job of moving things along. The second book is as you said, it's also focused on corporate exec recruiting, but actually it's focused on any type of recruiting. And it's it's really a distillation of other people's brilliance thoughts, quite frankly, it's or other people's brilliance. Um, we quote multiple authors and experts on all sorts of things, uh, consulting skills, empathy, and listening skills, trusted advisorship. And there's a long reference list at the back of that. Uh, so whomever is interested, whether it's a recruiter, external, recruiter internal, or frankly, anybody who's interested in uh, dealing with senior leaders, uh, negotiating, um, uh, consulting, asking consultative questions, having, fr frankly, without getting a bit too like, wishy-washy, but having better relationships in, inside and externally, uh, inside an organization externally. It's got a lot of those kind of skills in there. And again, it's not that we are the experts in these things. It's not that we brought up some new rocket science. It's frankly that we distilled other people's thoughts. We've got people like, um, uh, uh, I think his name is Peter Block, Flawless Consulting. We've got David Maester quoted in there. And they're all referenced. We've got a long reference list at the back. So people can use that, as I say, as a stepping stone to learn more. So it's a, it's a little bit about recruiting. It's a lot about recruiting, but one might learn a bit about recruiting, but actually one learns also about uh, a lot of other consulting skills and general business skills, quite frankly. Well, so one of the things that you said that I want to kind of dig into a little bit, Simon, was the process and how it takes so long. And I, you address that in the book and some of the experts that you've worked with probably gave some opinion on that, too. What, what are some of the key things that you've identified as to why the process tends to be so painful sometimes? Yeah, and that's one of the things we, we try and help the organizations uh, that we're you know, a targeted talking to, I suppose, our targeted market, I suppose. Um, we try and help them work on that kind of a thing because it, it can take a long time. The average search is something like 100 and something days, uh, 110, 120 days, whatever. It's about three or four months. And it's, uh, 
and that's consistent. I mean, it changes here and there. And of course, it changed because of the pandemic, um, because things got faster, actually, which was which was one of the few useful things that came out of that. Yeah. Um, so that uh, was useful in that respect. But um, in general, it's still three or four months. And the part of the reason that these take so long is uh, it takes a while to find the right people. Again, I'm talking here at executive level. So this is top 1% of most organizations we're talking about. Uh, very, very senior roles, of course, highly compensated. And quite frankly, there, are, there aren't many of these types of folks around. And they themselves are often running large organizations in their own right. Uh, they're often, of course, very busy. They travel a lot. So it's hard to get what we would call in the recruiting world a slate of five, six, seven, eight people together, certainly not all at once. That's very more difficult. But uh, to get them into the same place or even to get them to agree to talk to our customers, our internal customers or external customers, it can take a while you know, to literally find these people, connect with these people, pin them down literally, and then, of course, get them on, get on their schedules. And then we've got to do the same thing for our own internal executives who themselves are super busy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, in itself takes a while just to get these folks into the process. And then the process itself, because they're so pivotal, these roles, that it takes a long time for people to get really comfortable. And if they haven't got um, what we call structured interview down, structured interviews down, I should say, or if they haven't got a proper assessment operation down, um, then you know we can have all sorts of different decision makers and that can go back and forth. And then we might have a brilliant candidate turn up as the first ever person we talk to, but the leadership wants to talk to seven other people and that can take another two months. So it's it's a it's it's a difficult thing, and honestly, it's especially when we're dealing with a very select few, and where one sits in the process. I.e., if one was talked to early, then it can take a while for them to go through the whole mechanism of finding others to talk to, and that makes it very frustrating for that first candidate, um, and so on. And sort of, you know, it can go all over the place. What I think is changing, which will be good, is as we've talked about, mentioned there, is that. The pandemic has mean, meant that most folks are now being interviewed online, not everybody, but most right. folks are being interviewed now on video, which is, of course, I know that's stating the obvious. And I think most people, most organizations, I should say, are probably going to stick with that. Not everybody. Some organizations are going back to in-person or in-room interviews. But I think a large number of organizations are going to stick with this first round being on video, which is good and bad. Yeah, It's great right now where many people are still, especially in the uh, professional class, I suppose, um, many people are still uh, working from home or, or at least not working in an office. Now, that will change because then they won't be able to do a video interview <laughs> uh, in an open plan office. Yeah. Um, it will be harder for them to do that. So it's going to change a wee bit, and they may have to shift that to Fridays, Mondays, whatever. What is good is that that's probably not going away. What is going to be um, better is that uh, more people are being more respectful of candidates' time, candidates' lifestyle, candidates' locations, and so on and so forth. I'm sort of waffling a bit there, so I'm sorry. But yeah, I think uh, right. it's going to get better. <laughs> it is good. That is good. It's good to know that uh, that things will get better with the interview process. Let me ask you, because you brought up a structured interview. You said if the organizations you're working with has a structural interview process, it makes things easier. What do you tend to find bogs that down the most and how does your organization help them work through those things so that the process can be more structured and, and more free flowing? Yeah, it's well, I, I don't know necessarily that I'm the best person to say what bogs it down, but I do know that from what I understand from research anyway, that structured interviews are the best way of assessing candidates, apparently. Now, 
you know, it's research depending on the person you listen to and all that. So there are many others, I'm sure, who would completely disagree. But as I understand it, when they say structured interviews, that means that they're literally having different people. So, for instance, if you have it, if you're one's a candidate and one's talking to six executives at the company that you're interested in applying to, or have actually probably more likely you're interested in you being hired into, uh, they've been targeting you as, an, as a candidate, uh, then each of those interviewers, those six interviewers, should be asking you about specific competencies. They should be asking you about different things each time, whereas it isn't, unfortunately, that unknown for a candidate to walk in and be asked the same questions two right. or three times by different people, uh, be talked to about baseball or some other random stuff and really nothing to do with the actual job or role or competencies or skills, um, and uh, or, or have a very short interview which isn't properly managed and it's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm really busy or something like that. So a lot more folks these days are doing what they would call structured interviews, which is proper sets of questions uh, properly delivered and separately uh, managed or separately coordinated so that different people are asking different sets of questions. So we're not just all asking the same thing. That, of course, is a much better experience, both for the candidate and, frankly, that's also apparently the best way of assessing. There are tons of different assessment tools out there, lots of products, tools, software, all sorts of things. So it can take 20 minutes and they can take three or four hours. Uh, but it's supposedly none of them are as good as a properly managed, structured interview program uh, or process uh, where you have these set, these folks all given different questions and so on. I would make the assumption that you probably see a lot out there where you've got different interviewers interviewing the same candidate and one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. To your point, they're asking the same questions. Is that very common in, in the kinds of uh, companies that you're working with? Well, not the kinds of companies we're working with because we recommend that they all do structured interviewing. So, that, you know, <laughs> I, I talked to a skewed pool, right? Yeah. Um, but it's a small set of a small subset, and these are sophisticated organizations. That, I mean, they would. I mean, it's going to sound self-recognizing, but they wouldn't be dealing with us, talking to us, part of our group, unless they were a sophisticated organization. So, it, I know it sounds a bit weird to say that, but so having said that. That's a small subset. If you look at the Russell 2000 or these huge, you know, there's a huge number of companies and organizations out there, not just in the US, but around the world, of course, it's massive. Uh, I would suggest probably a larger chunk or a very large chunk are not doing that. Right. Um, and are not managing it properly. And, and frankly, don't have somebody centrally coordinating. There are many organizations that where HR is, and I'm not saying HR is the be all end all, but HR is an afterthought. You know, it's, mm. it's part of a process management as opposed to a strategic value add. Well, so let's let's talk about the ones that are to, that are doing it well. What do you think is important for job seekers to know about good recruiters, right? The people that you're working with that would serve them well in the interview process. What should they know about a recruiter who's getting it right? The process. Well, as from a candidate perspective, again, I'm, I'm always thinking of it from a recruiter's perspective. Sure, so it's interesting. It's a, it's a nice way of thinking about it differently. I think, especially the corporate recruiters. The corporate recruiters who are at the executive or senior levels, uh, and actually any of them, quite frankly, are generally, I think, at the more sophisticated organizations or the, the better organizations are looking for ways to select in rather than select out. It's always been a mm -hmm. traditional uh, model, I suppose, to select out. You know, you get applicants or you get you know, a list of 100 names and you're trying to cull that down. These days, I believe the, the emphasis is more about selecting in, trying to find... Uh, folks who are 
maybe not exactly on the mark from the point of view of the 12 different requirements, which is too many, by the way, um, but perhaps people who can bring more than just what's on the, the resume or more than just what's on the job description, frankly, more importantly. Um, so I think that these days, recruiters, good recruiters are looking for that. They're looking for more, uh, as I say, select in, um, than, than, as they're, um, they're operating in more of a select in way, which is great. Um, and so in that respect, and again, easy for me to say, I know it's not always necessarily easy to do, but openness and honesty is always the best. You know, we, we hear a lot and it's still reported often about how folks make stuff up on resumes or they omit stuff or, or take out dates. Um, but honestly, I've heard so many leaders, not necessarily recruiters, but leaders say they want to hear about mistakes. Mm. They want to hear about what went wrong because those are in themselves opportunities to learn. Uh, secondly, we get to really hear about how that candidate ticks, what makes them tick, I should say, and how they think and how they react and respond. Uh, and of course, no mistakes equals less wisdom. So right. that's all, that all adds up to wisdom, right? You know, and boy, I hope uh, the folks who are out looking for work are, and are hearing this are hearing a couple of key things. One, uh, you know, you need to be good at telling your story. If they're, if the people who are interviewing you have a select in or what makes you the right candidate kind of mindset, you got to be really good at, at articulating not just how you are in general, but how you are the best candidate for that particular position. The other thing that I think is really valuable in what you're saying, this whole idea of of you know not being afraid to talk about your mistakes. I'll tell you, one of, one of the, the things I've talked about in interviews uh, in my past uh, you know, that I've got the story where one of the clients I used to work with threw me out of his office, literally told me to get out three times. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's an embarrassing story from the sense that that happened to me, but it, it also is a way for me to articulate, one, my tenacity, and two, uh, showing a little humility myself and recognizing my approach and how I was dealing with that client was wrong and adjusting myself to the point that that person became one of my best clients and would reach out years later just for my advice. So, you know, I think a, an employer hearing those stories, it humanizes you and, and helps them to recognize, you know, okay, that you're not perfect. And that's, that's a good thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's, it, I don't know. I don't know what the quote is or what people say and how it's supposed to be said, but it's something like it's how you react is what is our true character, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is super. Yeah. So, you know, a big part of recruiting these days, I mean, particularly I'm guessing at the executive level is sourcing, which of course is, you know, this is the process of proactively finding a list of people who are candidates that are often passive talent. So they're not actually working, looking. I mean, if I'm a candidate that's open to new opportunities or maybe a job seeker who wants to be found by a recruiter, how do you advise me to maybe be more visible so that the people you're working with are going to be able to find me. Yeah, that, that's, yeah that's an interesting one. W one is, I think it's, it's a way of thinking as opposed to, no, I don't know if it's the word is transaction, but it's a way of thinking. So rather than flip a switch and say, I'm going to focus on being more visible, I think it's just generally acting in a way that is visible. And it's not mm -hmm. that one chooses to be more visible. It's more like, and again, I'm going to be a little glib or trite, whatever the phrase is, but it's more about doing great work. And again, easy to say, hard to actually, one, specify, and two, actually do, frankly. Um, but that's, you know, making sure the great work that one's done is listed on LinkedIn, 
in in the right way um not all about claiming all credit for oneself or anything like that but putting it on there as, as a, a list of activities and and successes and so on and so forth and even on the resume making sure that the right things are on there things like not just saying i ran a project but what did that project actually deliver from the business right. perspective or frankly how did it go right or wrong or what did one learn from it or how did one lead the team or whatever it is but it's more about just listing achievements it's more than that it's more about that how that those achievements or those projects or those programs whatever it is actually impacted the business and ideally of course putting numbers in there but i know that you all know this your listeners all know that but and to say get, making stuff so, uh, sure stuff is on linkedin is also basic you all know that too but i would suggest it's more about this living the um ethos of doing great work um not just to show oneself off from a point of view of looking for a role but just constantly doing it go to inter- industry conferences because that's not just learning and net- connecting and networking with others but it's of course especially if one's on the agenda as a speaker it's going to put oneself out there as an expert right um, and quite honestly this is something I, I quote i not quote i mean i preach about this all the time and especially to recruiters whether the worst it's like the cobbler's shoes thing right it's, don't wait to be found uh, mm. i would also suggest that we have a list of those organizations like an ongoing list perhaps one of one of those things that one does every year at new year's eve or something list those organizations and or and or leaders that one specifically wants to work for in the next one two three years have a list of them it's amazing how listing things is one of those crazy stuff things that happens yeah. really work i don't know why um and literally list them out those kind of organizations or leaders or groups or even segments that one really really wants to work for or work in and spend time learning about those organizations leaders do as an executive recruiter or a headhunter would do find the target 10 or 15 or 20 organizations functions leaders whatever they are and then do the research learn about them learn where they where they speak learn uh, if they're if they're leaders learn where those organizations are going uh, read about them as i say just as a headhunter would do do all the research and then connect with people who work there connect with people who are connected to the people you want to connect to like their posts on linkedin or on whatever other social media that they happen to be in github or something um but really be focused and really be selective i know it sounds a bit like stalking and it is quite frankly stalking um <laughs> right. but that's the way to go it's targeting just as one would do dating probably same yeah. sort of a thing right yeah. set a selected uh, set of criteria narrow that down focus on it and over time it's not about i don't think anyway shifting one's emphasis towards looking for a role it's being constantly aware of what's going on and having that plan you know simon around here in the reveal talent community we have a word for that that we created it's called prositioning and it's a combination of two words it's proactively positioning yourself for the things that you're wanting to do. And it's, and it's just like you're describing, it's being proactive. Don't wait for these things to happen. So I think that's such an important point. So you've got one word for, I just use 500. See, See there you know, economy <laughs> of scale. We, we were feeling good about it. So, yeah, but you brought up a lot of great points. I just want to highlight for the folks listening. So yes, putting yourself in the right place is important. I loved how you talked about uh, letting your story be results oriented. Don't just tell your story make sure that the results are woven into it. So that's huge. Your LinkedIn, uh, you alluded to having keywords. I mean, one of the great advantages to recruiters with a tool like LinkedIn recruiting 
uh, is that I can do a sophisticated search for you, and I'm looking for specific uh, experiences or keywords that are going to lead me to you. So make mm -hmm. sure that stuff is a part of your profile, or as we refer to as your portfolio. And then I love the the 10 or, or the companies, make sure to have a list. Uh, there is something powerful about writing something down. It does kind of create a reality in some ways. But uh, we have what uh, we, we call our career marketing plan. So with any client we're working with, we're, we're helping them build that list. You know, who are the companies? And I love that you took it a step further, not just the companies you want to work for, but also the leaders. That's awesome because how many people, you know, that's what they say, right? The number one reason you tend to leave an organization is the leader. Maybe, yeah. maybe you should flip that on the head. And maybe that's one of the number one reasons you want to join in, uh, an organization. So right. some, some tremendous wisdom there. So let me build on some of that. So, I mean, in your opinion, with all of those things, and, and you've, you've been around recruiting, I'm just going to say a long time. We're going to keep really out of it, but a long time. <laughs> uh, what has changed the most about recruiting over the years that you've been in it? And do you think these changes have made it easier or harder for job seekers? Yeah, again, from the job seeker perspective, it's, it's a fascinating way of looking at things. I, of course, social media, in my lifetime anyway, social media is a huge, the, frankly, the internet, but that we won't go there because we're touching on the really, really long time thing again. But um, <laughs> but social media, certainly in the last uh, however long it's been, uh, and but, you know, LinkedIn is part of that, right? Uh, if you're not on there, you're not going to be found. And there are some people, some very senior execs, especially in the tech industry, who've pulled off LinkedIn. Actually, they got out of it because it became such a, uh, for them, I think, overwhelming place to be. So, but most people, of course, should all be on LinkedIn. And that's what's really changed is that it, if you're not on there, you don't exist, uh, mm. unfortunately, or fortunately, in many recruiters' eyes. Uh, and I, you know, some of the old school, you might say, uh, didn't use that kind of a tool, didn't have that kind of a tool. It was literally cold calling lists, figuring out where people worked, going through the, um, the directories of companies, whatever it might be in the old executive recruiting days. And uh, that was why we started. Now everyone's on LinkedIn. That's a good and bad thing. It means that everyone's so much more discoverable, at least, right. uh, to a degree approachable as well, although there's a lot of spamming going on, but hopefully that will get cleaned up. Um, but it also means a double-edged sword, right? It also means there's a lot more competition because everyone's discoverable. So mm -hmm. there aren't just the 20 people that you're trying to focus on. There are 200, 2,000, 200,000 uh, other folks who at least on the pa on, well, not on paper, <laughs> on the screen right. look somewhat similar. Um, and that's a good and bad. Um, uh, it makes it harder because there's so much more competition and so much harder to be noticed. But it makes it easier because you're not having to send your resume out to you know ten thousand right. recruiters, which is a great thing. Um, I suppose there's again, but at the same time, talking of double-edged swords, it's all about public social media, of course. So there's risk there. So then, so many folks live their lives online, um, making it very clear about what they believe, what they do, how they, and most of which should be completely fine. Um, but it is also unfortunately hard for a recruiter to unsee something if they've yeah. seen something. Um, and then we talk about things like you know, biases built into the systems. Yeah. We just can't stop, right? So it's, again, good and bad. It's it's great that all that is out there and there's so much information, which is fantastic, but it's also a high risk because folks have to be, I think, careful about what is being put out there either by them or about them. Yeah. Well, I mean, shoot, you think about 
this is going to be a weird analogy, but hang with me. It's like uh, as hunting has improved. I mean, the gun's a great thing if you want to be able to hunt wiser, but you better be careful not to shoot yourself in their own foot, right? So I think it's the same thing with with LinkedIn. It's a powerful tool, and if you know how to use it correctly, it can work to your advantage. But don't shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah. Uh, so no, great points with that. So let me ask you this, Simon. Um, you know, I by the by the nature of the work your company does, an assumption I would make is it puts you uniquely in position to be on the cutting edge. I mean, kind of know where recruiting's going just because you interact with so many recruiters. Assuming that's a fair assumption, uh, what do you think are the biggest changes coming to recruiting? And I would think of things like new resources, maybe new processes, maybe even the future of the resume. What do you see in coming? So I think it's less about uh, a tool or a, or a process or anything like that. It's much more about the way people are thinking about recruiting now. So business leaders are getting much more involved because it's such a business. Everyone talks about how people are the critical thing and people are so important to our company and everything, which is all very nice. But quite frankly, until it actually uh, hits the rubber meets the road or you know it hits the wallet, suddenly it's becoming a big imperative because they literally cannot get the talent which is great. So we've all heard this. I know the great resignation, the great reshuffle. And of course, it's a, it's a candidate's market. So that's a fantastic thing. Um, I hope that what we what comes out of this, which is that businesses, companies, recruiters, HR will think differently about talent and they'll be more uh, open and, and sort of um, thoughtful about how they're recruiting. Hopefully that won't change when the whole market flips again, which it does on a classic pendulum style. So that's in a general ethos, I think, of course, uh, that it's a much more of a candidate-driven, talent-driven marketplace, which is a wonderful thing. It is. That in itself also, the way people are thinking about, and again, I know we've all talked about this a million times, so I'll, be, I'll be keep it succinct, but the way people are talking about location, um, how they work, uh, they're literally the way they contract with the employers these days has changed. By the way, none of this is that new. There, we had a chap, um, a chap called Chris Yeh, who was a, he's an author of a book called The Alliance, which was written with um, actually the founder of LinkedIn, uh, Reid mm. Hoffman. He came and talked to us something like seven or eight years ago, and he was talking about how companies and candidate, or actually companies and talent, were even then seven, eight, how many when they wrote this seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, uh, were rethinking, or it wasn't they weren't rethinking, but it was changing. The whole way of interaction was changing, which is which is really, really cool, at the same time terrifying for some more traditional thinking companies, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but sorry, so I could go on. But anyway, back down to those kind of the processes. It's a lot easier now to find talent, uh, which is great, finding literally finding names. A lot more uh, technology being evolved. People are dabbling with um, artificial intelligence to find the names, find the candidates. Wow. Um, that's all good, as long as it's used properly. Sure. And then the, bias is taken out of that, which is also a big risk. And and at the same time, back to the whole thinking again, resources and processes, there's more attention being paid to bias, and not just bias around diversity, underrepresented talent, but the recruiting function in general is, is thinking much more about biases of all kinds, like confirmation bias, or I'm, uh, I've just found someone like this, therefore I've just found 10 people who look exactly the same. Or recency bias. I was mentioning indirectly earlier. Uh, you just met. You met the best candidate at the beginning of this two-month process. Oh, but the last person I saw seemed so much better because I just saw them. Uh, those kinds of things. So a lot more think. A lot more people are looking at 
biases in general, not just around diversity and underrepresented leaders, which is great. Um, you, you touched on resumes in general, and I don't know whether the resume is ever going away. People talk about that for, I don't know, a decade now. Video clips may be useful. Assessment tools may be useful, but all these things bring up other problems. You right. Know, interviews are great, right, for people who interview really well. But so therefore, video is going to be great for people who are really comfortable on being on video. Um, each each new thing brings up its own problems. So the the key, I suppose, being that no tool is the be all end all, and yeah, they should all be used as part of a kind of a suite along with other mechanisms. Well, to some degree, it sounds like the more things change, the more they stay the same, and you just have <laughs> yeah, to continue exactly. to learn. Yeah, how that all goes. Well, let me let me shift to you a bit, if I can. We always, towards the end of the podcast, try to get to know our guests at a deeper level and see if they get a little vulnerable about their careers and maybe share something personal about their journey that could be valuable to the audience. So is, is there a story from your career that you feel like our listeners could maybe learn from? Well, it's funny you mentioned the word story because I, I have this thing about story, and I don't know whether it's because... When you when thinks of a story, when it may just be made up, right? And, and I, this is something I, I'd love to kind of share out because I've never really shared it before. But in my in my career, I went from recruiting technical folks, so technical um, or technicians, I should say, we, we recruited on an hourly, a weekly contract basis, and that was in London. And then I moved to Hong Kong and um, got sort of mid level executive level recruiting uh, experience there. And I moved into the US. And then got into the, one of the biggest, in fact, the biggest uh, executive search company in the world, Corn Ferry. Yeah. And so I kind of moved up the recruiting ladder. When I say that, when I, I mean moved up the um, the target market, I suppose, so from uh, technical by the hour to mid-management to then senior leadership. And this is going to sound, I, I'm going to sound a bit crass because I, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, <laughs> but uh, I, I realized along the way that I needed to tell that story. Uh, it mm. happened. Whether I was doing it on purpose, I don't know, but it happens. So I kind of moved up the path, um, and I suppose the key there is that I figured out there was a story in that I kept moving up the path um, along my career, uh, uh, up, up the value chain, I suppose. And that would be my point to leave with that, is that mm. I think one does need to create a story, like you've described. You said that you tell your listeners that all the time. It is about creating a story about the career path, about the moves, reasons for moves, and it's not the one, not that I was lying about these things. They just happened. And I probably did make that choice without realizing I was making that choice. Does that make any sense? Sure. But I think the key, the key is the story. Like you're absolutely right. It's important that one does have that and, 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 and able to tell it in a short, succinct way, which is one of those things I'm still working on. Well, <laughs> and I tell you, I, you know, I have candidates all the time saying to me, yeah, but I hate, I hate toot my own horn or telling my story and things. But you know what? you're going to be looking for work, you better get over that because people want to hear it. People want to hear your story. It's going to be an important part of that. It's an important part of who you are. Just like Simon, your story is an important part of you. And, and it's, it tells a lot about why you're such a valuable resources, resource to organizations today. Well, Simon, I really appreciate you coming and sharing your wisdom with uh, with the audience and kind of lifting that curtain for folks to be able to see behind the scenes and recruiting. That's something that's uh, very valuable to folks who are looking for work. Is there anything else you'd want to share with our, uh, our listeners while while you're here? Yeah, it's um, one thing I didn't touch on, which I think is coming up more and more. And again, I know you've probably talked about this in other 
podcasts and people can read about is this we talk about it in our book in our second book actually in the consulting skills book is about purpose mm. um fight and i don't mean one has to go out and do a and i was just reading actually this morning one doesn't have to go out and create a charity or or go work in um a third world country or something like that it's it's more about just having it back to the story i suppose having a purpose and then finding a role finding a place where that purpose fits not just one's own kind of ethos but also that organization and that's i think key that was one thing that used to strike me is when i talked to these senior execs and i'd given them the offer um they'd be yeah, that's nice compensation's great a bit more money in the bank super benefits fine not much different there and then they'd look at the the mission the purpose what mm. they were there to do and that was what really jazzed them and i think that's uh I, and these are the, some of the most successful people in the world this is you know um one of the most valuable companies in the world i used to work for at microsoft for 10 years um and these people they had made a big difference already in their lives um and so it was something that was very interesting was that they were really interested in purpose and i think therefore finding one's purpose um uh, and you know using that as one's north star i suppose for the career change whatever it is i think that's important very important Simon, that is a great place to bring us right here at the end of the podcast. I love that we're ending here on purpose, and I hope folks are soaking that in because it is. And I think for even a lot of the generations that are coming up now, purpose is really important to them. And I think that's a wonderful thing. When you can align the work that you do with a purpose that you feel strongly inside, uh, what a great place to build a career. Well, Simon, thank you so much. I appreciate having you here and uh, wish you all the best in everything that you're doing. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. So there you have it. Another peek behind the recruiting curtain. Here are a few things I heard. First, if you want to be found by some of the best recruiters out there, get good at telling your story. Make sure it's results-oriented. Surround your online presence with keywords that recruiters are going to be searching for. Keep a list of companies and leaders you want to work for and find ways to stay in their orbit. And finally, if you want your story to resonate, make sure the people you tell it to can hear the passion in your purpose. That's a lot to digest and plan for. If you need help with any of that, Go out to revealtalent.com and learn more about how we can help you tell your story in a genuine and powerful way.